passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, fellas, I think we are live. Coast to Coast podcast coming at you all tonight. I uh, hope that folks can see and or hear us. I will go ahead and say now, first time I've done this uh, trying to produce this live deal. And so I'm going to ask for some grace tonight from our people. Um, yeah, I have no idea if anybody's actually here or not. Folks, if you can hear us, uh, give us a thumbs up or a comment in the chat. Um, but again, first time we've done this. So if this if this all goes to hell in a handbasket, I'll wear it. I'll try to practice harder. I'll go back and refocus and, uh, and do better next time. But either way, live version of the Coast to Coast podcast, kind of atypical, want to do some different things. Hey, that, shout out to everybody who's in the chat already letting us know that it's going well. So thank you all. Uh, with me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. Going to do this a little different again because it's live. Not a ton going on this past week. We do want to hit a couple of things, but a little bit later, we're actually going to try to take some questions from you guys. So if you've got really good questions, hang tight. Uh, we'll give you a spot to drop those in a little bit later. Uh, obviously, you know, keep in mind uh, we can't really talk about stuff that we can't go live with. Uh, so so keep that in mind when you're asking questions. But definitely want to give this a try and interact with you guys tonight because we definitely appreciate all y'all being a part of the show. As you well know. Um, we are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt, uh, johnnytshirt.com. We're big fans of them, um, and, and we appreciate all the work that they do for, for Inside Carolina and, and all they do for you guys. With that said, let's go ahead and get rolling. Sean Moran, the biggest thing that I can think of uh, that came out of uh, came out of this past uh, this past week was live period number two. And I know you've been grinding. You did a great. Uh, well, actually, let's stop. Let's start on your your breakdown of Paxton Wojcik's game because I think that was really cool that you did the video right up of him. And for those of you in the chat or for those of you who listen to us later on, if you have not seen Sean's video breakdowns that he does of of these commits that UNC is getting. I highly recommend them. I can't say enough about how good they are. Um, absolutely just great insight. Sean does a good job with his detail and, and just giving things that you probably hadn't considered with seeing these guys. So, Sean, let's talk about the Paxson Wiljic video you did first that is available on the premium message boards. What jumped out at you about his game that maybe you had not seen beforehand when you you sat down for this multiple viewing and started, you know, cut things up? Well, First on the video front, I'd say I'm uh, still extremely amateur on uh, on making them. Have gotten gotten a little better on it, but I think for me, really the important thing is having people see the the pros and the cons versus just a highlight film. Where I think anybody can 
you can make anybody look uh, stupendous in a highlight film. So I think that's that's really what I want to come across in any of these videos is, you know, hey, what are the strengths? But also watching watching some of the misses or watching some of the turnovers and seeing the, the bad with the good. So just to kind of catch for it, you know, uh, catch on that. But hopefully we'll be, you know, adding a few little wrinkles to the videos as we as we go forward. But in terms of logic, uh, you know, once again, the first transfer to almost had me uh, going Sherelle's Sherelle style on, on that one. Um, obviously the first transfer to commit to UNC. And once again, I think what we've talked about with him, we're not expecting a starter. What we're expecting is a guy to come off the bench. I think the intangibles is what he's going to bring to the team from experience and leadership. And I'm sure in practice is going to be getting after, getting after guys on, on both ends of the floor. But in terms of his overall season, he was he kind of did a lot of lot of everything. Close to 15 points, seven rebounds for a six four six five guard is is pretty impress, impressive. Plus uh, a little over three assists. Um, so he he kind of had his hands in in everything, making second team All Ivy League in the game that we focused on. It was his last game of the season, senior night. Uh, it happened to be one of his better games. So 25 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Uh, but I think. In that, you're able to see the versatility. You're able to see him attacking the rim. I think, uh, obviously, attacking the rim in the Ivy League is going to be a little different than in the ACC. But I think he, you know, not the quickest guy. So that first step isn't going to, he's not going to just explode by people. But I think he does have that threat, 38% from from three. Uh, and he will look to look to attack. I think especially if, if he gets switched in the pick and roll against, uh, you know, a bigger guy. Uh, so at the end of the video, added in some of his made buckets from uh, the Carolina game and <laughs> some some of the lineups that were used in that between, uh, I was seeing some Brady Manick, Dawson Garcia, and McCoy out on the, on, the, on the floor. So he was definitely getting some of the bigger guys in Caleb Love. But, um, you know, he he's a tough guy. He can attack. Once again, I think proper expectations. We're, we're not expecting him to come in be a starter average 15 points, but if he can provide some reliable bench minutes, I think he can, um, I think against top level ACC teams, you know, sometimes we might not see him get on the floor, but I think if you're looking for a guy to come in and, and be aggressive and, and I think be able to play 10 plus minutes in, in the majority of games, uh, that that's what you're getting in Paxson. And think about how many times last year that North Carolina could have used anybody to come in and hit an open jump shot. Uh, I think that's something I took away from your from your your film breakdown is that he's got the capability of hitting uh, of hitting jumpers. His feet look a little weird sometimes. Does that bother you at all, or or is that maybe just just me picking nits? Well, I mean, he shot well this you know thirty eight percent this year, uh, but it, it was it was definitely a jump from from previously. I think for me, it's more going to be you know the speed. I think we, we saw him play against UNC, play against Michigan State, Northwestern, et cetera. Um, but it's going to be that, that higher level speed and athleticism on a, on a daily basis. So I, I think that'll be, you know, the, the biggest adjustment for me is he, is he able to get open looks, uh, or is he able to, um, you know, and I don't think even if he's attacking, if he can attack and kick, especially with the shooters that UNC's added, that will, I mean, that'll be, be huge. Uh, but once again, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he might become captain of the team, just given, what you kind of see on the floor, uh, on the floor, obviously a, another fiery personality, but I think from a practice perspective, you know, I, I see him in the mold of his dad of, he's not going to take, you know, any, anything from anybody. And he's going to be, you know, going at you despite maybe not have gone to not have, uh, he didn't go to the Naval Academy, but I think that just that upbringing, um, will, will pay off in practice. And I do want to say to the folks that are tuned in right now, almost 200 people have jumped in. Thank you guys for being a part of a, of this kind of, again, we're, we're trying this thing out live, see how it goes. Um, if I sound more like I've got my head in a toilet than usual, forgive me. Um, we've had some, some RSV going around the house and some itis and I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing up the show so I can go get some tussing in me. But, um, if I do well, sound a little rough, forgive me, uh, Sean, how are, I do are not you have back a Gatorade. Now? I do not have a Gatorade with me this time. So I'm, I'm good. Well, well, let's let's bring in Sherelle. Sherelle, uh, we're going to, I guess, quickly segue over to talking about uh, live period two and some more EYBL action this weekend. Um, is there anything you can share with us about who the Tar Heel staff seemed to be targeting that maybe we didn't see when we were predicting this last week? 
Um, I think it stayed pretty static. Um, for our premium subscribers, there's a note about one in particular that I think caught our eye. Um, but in general, I would say they did a good job. Again, we weren't on the road this weekend, so I'm gonna put that caveat out there. We were out last week, but not this week. But uh, they did do a good job of just kind of staying after the guys that um, they either identified here in the last few months or saw last week or offered last week, um, that being uh, Peterson and Koa Pete, uh, and then as well, Caleb Wilson. Uh, we talked about him a few times. He's a 2025 wing from Georgia uh, who played against Drake Powell last weekend, a really good game. Uh, uh, Brad May, Brad May, Brad Frederick and Sean May both watched him in Atlanta. And then Jeff Lebo and Hubert Davis watched him at EYBL this past weekend. So he's one I think we should probably monitor to see if North Carolina gets uh, you know more serious there here in, in the coming days and weeks. But I think overall, uh, pretty much most of what we expected, minus that kind of uh, one player who's who got a lot more attention um, in 2024. We'll just leave it at that. That's, that's something that uh, you can read on the premium board in the evaluation thread. Well, I'm just going to assume that everybody that's in this chat right now is an Inside Carolina premium member. And if you're not, man, I, I can't say how much shame and rotten, rotten food and spoiled fruit needs to be thrown at you for not being a premium member of IC. Sean, give me some stats from this past weekend in the, in the second live period. Who statistically jumped out at you and, and maybe kind of got your attention a little bit? Um, I think from a statistical standpoint, we should just start with with who UNC has has committed. Because uh, last week, Drake Powell was the MVP. Um, I think from a stats perspective, it was going to be tough to, to stay at that level. And he definitely came down from a, a stats perspective. So over the four games, he was a little under 10 points, five rebounds, uh, three assists, uh, and I think it was one for nine from three and shooting below 28 or below 30% now over, over the course. So I think that will be something to track in May is that shooting because that's just that has always been the main talking point, uh, something that you saw get better in high school. You saw look good last week, uh, but I think. In, in the overall thread on the premium board, there was one move that Trevor William Marks highlighted, and I had to watch it time, time and time again because he literally just did a jab step and just froze and shook the defender and got, you know drove hard right, went to the rim for a dunk. And that was something last year. Uh, you know, he would If he did look to attack, uh, he would look to get into the paint and almost just kick it out for, to an open shooter because uh, that's how unselfish... He was, but I think you've seen that transformation where, you know, he can get straight to the basket and just dunk in traffic. Uh, so I, I think just seeing that one move, despite all the stats, once again, super impressive and enthusiastic for what is still to come with Drake Powell. But from uh, a stat point, I mean, Elliot Cadeau, he put up almost a triple-double today on Sunday. Uh, his, I know EYBL has been they've always been keeping track of stats. It's hard to now find them with the different websites they've used, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cadeau sets the all time EYBL record in assists. Uh, right now he's, you know, he, he's at a five to one assist to turnover ratio at 33 this, this weekend. Um, and, and each game is pretty much double, double figures almost. So he's, you know, everybody knows he's a great passer, but I think he's just, he's showing that time and time again. Uh, and he's been shooting the ball and, and, you know, his free throw percentage is up. So he's been continuing to play tremendous. I, I would imagine he might be, you know, first team when they come out with their selections. And then James Brown, uh, I do want to watch more of him. I haven't really seen a lot of his, his milk can elite games. I wish he had stayed on, on mean streets uh, just due to how often they had played and probably that role, but obviously going, um, you know, and getting ready for with Link Academy, it, it makes sense. But, he had a pretty. Um, he had one really good game, very efficient in in 15 minutes, 13.7 boards. But I think those are, you know, just from a UNC perspective, those are the, how the three guys performed. Uh, but once again, Elliot Cadeau just staking his claim as the best best point guard. I don't think there's any any question on the best pure passer um, in in EYBL, and probably you know when, whenever he does get to college, uh, he'll probably be number one in, in that. Right, right off the bat. I, I want to go to James Brown a little bit, because uh, I do think in the midst of how well Drake and Cadeau have played 
there, there's been a little bit of disappointment in how Brown has played. And I understand that, but my response would be uh, just like with everything, he, he's playing on a, on a new team, as you said, Sean. Um, and Mokan, if you know the history kind of like of EYBL and AAU basketball, they always have multiple 6'9", 6'10", guys. So a lot of AAU teams have one big or, or one and a half bigs, and Mokan has like three and a half. So adding Brown probably was a little bit of overkill this year, but I do think it's good for his development to play against those kind of guys um, in practice. He, he did it at St. Rita. He's going to do it at Link, and now he's doing it at Mokan. So, you know, the idea that uh, – and this is not disparage him as a player, but the idea that James Brown was going to come in as a freshman and, you know, be Armando Baycott, I think people need to dissuade them themselves of that now. And I think we've tried to say that over the last couple of years. He, in time, I think he can be a good player, but he knows he's got more development and he knows he needs to get better. That's the reason he chose to go to Link Academy because it is, you know, no disrespect to Branton, Missouri, but uh, outside of studying and playing basketball, you know, there's there's not a ton to do unless you watch Ozark and then there's a lot clearly, of... <laughs> clearly, you have never spent a night going to see the uh, off off Broadway country shows in Branson, Missouri, sir. It's I am it's, I am Myr- judging it's, you. It's Myrtle Beach in Missouri, right? That's it's Myrtle it Beach of the Mississippi Delta, correct? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, there's not much else to do there. So he's going to be locked in for the next year to get better. So um, I understand that he has to produce and uh, for his ranking to stay what it is. And to be frank, I don't think it's going to stay where it is. But that doesn't mean that he can't be a good player for UNC. So. As that happens, just trying to get ahead of it and let people prepare themselves for, for that coming, but also know that he still is talented and he still has a chance to be a good basketball player. It's just not going to be, you know, as a starter in year one or anything like that. I like that, Shrill. You've always done a really good job of kind of adding some uh, or tempering expectations, but also adding perspective. And I think recognizing that, you know, his entire life has basically just been uprooted and moved to two new programs you know over the last couple of months um you know and that's hard for anybody much less somebody at his age uh and if there's anybody can handle it as we learned when we talked to him a while back it's 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 probably james brown anything else you guys want to mention talking about um e-y-b-l or uh the adidas circuit this past weekend sean anything you want to add before we move on to something else no, I mean, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what happened. Last week, it was pretty quick in terms of the two offers in 2025 after Hubert Davis was at Adidas. Uh, so now that he was on the EYBL circuit, it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes next, whether it is uh, some more on the Adidas, if it's 2024, or what happens from the Nike in, in 2025. So pretty pretty excited to see over the next two to three days what, what comes out of Chapel Hill in terms of uh, this, the second live recruiting period. And uh, you know, once again, that wraps it up until July from a, from a live recruit. Well, besides the high school uh, stanzas, but in terms of AAU, so it's, it'll be a long, long, long mid season until we get back to, back to July. Shauna, I wanted to ask you something real quick. Uh, Darren Peterson, what, what position would you consider him? What, what role would you consider him as? I think, I mean, a, old school shooting guard <laughs> where I, I know we've between point guard and combo guards and shooting guards and wing forwards. But I think, you know, kind of a, a pure shooting guard uh, with six, five great size, uh, I think has really good, you know, some pretty good mechanics on his shot. You can see it, especially on the mid range and that, that length. So I, I'd love to know what his wingspan is. Cause I mean, he just gets, once he gets to the rim, he just, uh, you know, he, he's throwing down, so easily um you know for somebody going into the junior class but i I would put him at a as a shooting guard follow-up question what would you consider isaiah harwell i'd say more of a combo guard with him uh because i I think even last year when he was playing on the 17 under au circuit in adidas he was he had the ball in his hands a lot um and running running point not to say that peterson does not have the ball in his hands but i think he's more of a you know get it to him on the wing uh, kind of look to attack off the dribble, but he's not, I don't see him having the ball in his hand as much, bring the ball up the court, initiating offense, things of that nature. Gotcha. I asked that because we've seen kind of how Hebert Davis has handled recruitments uh, since he's gotten here. Yeah. And Isaiah Harwell has had an offer now since September. So he, he was by himself for 
October, November, December, January, February, March, almost seven months that he had to offer by himself. Uh, same thing that happened with Cam Scott uh, in the 2024 class and with Drake Powell. He got an offer in February, had to offer by himself until late July. Uh, so I wonder, you know, if this is kind of one of those, all right, you, you had your shot, you know, it's still yours, but it's not yours to yourself anymore. Um, obviously, Peterson's a, a top five, you know, can't miss national prospect. So it could just be that he's a talented player that UNC wanted to talk to. But uh, it's always interesting to see kind of those uh, recruiting battles shape out early. Uh, so I wanted to ask you that. And then uh, the other thing I would say is that we, I'm not going to promise anything, but we hope to have some people on here um, in the next couple of weeks to kind of talk about those two live periods who uh, kind of saw Adidas and Nike, whereas we only got to see Nike live. Um, so hopefully that'll be upcoming. Uh, but I don't want to promise anything, but, but we hope it's coming. I love the way you temper expectations, Cheryl, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And one of the things I've, I've just come to love about you. Um, one thing that did happen, uh, with North Carolina this week, and I see you reported it, Marcus Page is coming home. I think that seeing that, uh, Jackie Manuel left to take a job with, uh, American university, uh, up in DC, I believe that's where he ended up, um, as assistant on the bench there leaves his role open now for Marcus Page. And if anybody had really been paying attention, you know, Marcus's, uh, Pro career had started to slow down. He had been spending a lot of time in Chapel Hill. I think he was dealing with some chronic injuries. Don't quote me on that, but I think I remember uh, I remember seeing that. And so getting a guy like Marcus Page back in the program, I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head that might be loved and be loved more than Marcus Page. Sherell, what does that mean to bring a guy like that home? Uh, and if you can tell a little bit about what you think he might be doing, feel free. I mean, it's it's massive. It, it's a it's a big thing because one, you, you always want to have different perspectives in your staff, um, different viewpoints, different ideas, and you know, frankly, Marcus is younger. He's going to be younger than anyone else on staff by about ten years. Uh, it may, maybe a little more. I think he's just my age. So yeah, about ten or eleven years. He's going to be the youngest one on staff. Uh, so I think that's an important part. And you think about how Marcus Page kind of. Uh, co-led along with Roy Williams, UNC through the mid 2010s. I mean, it was a pretty tumultuous period. And I don't think you can ask for a better representative at a better time. Like some people might've been better representatives. Some people were better basketball players, but no one had that combination when North Carolina needed it the most, more than Marcus Page. That's why I always go back to, you know, 2012 class and you start talking about uh, the LJ Rose, Marcus Page thing, and just the alternate timeline where LJ Rose commits to UNC before Marcus Page. And it just feels like it would have been disastrous because Page was the perfect recruit at the perfect time for UNC. And I think he can help on staff, you know, doing some of the same things that Jackie did, but also um, kind of being an, an ear for the players. Um, you know, I, I think everybody knows that there's always a, a bit of good cop, good cop, bad cop with parenting. I think it's the same with with coaching. And maybe Marcus can be that ear, just extra ear for guys to talk about something. Um, you know, they're going to have some really dynamic guards come through here in the next couple of years. Uh, so you, you think Paige would probably have some advice about how to play and, and live in the limelight at UNC in the last 10 years? Uh, I mean, I just think that's invaluable, in addition to kind of the stuff that is going to be assigned to him that uh, Jackie had as well. So, um, yeah, a, a great hire. Uh, Roy Williams always talked about just how smart Marcus Page was, uh, how he got it. And I think you'll start to see that as he begins, you know, what could be a, a lengthy coaching career. Uh, as far as that question is concerned. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to lead you to that. The Orange Shovel said, since Marcus Page's off-court position, how involved can he be during summer workouts and pickup games? I'm going to answer this with confidence, even though I'm not confident in the actual answer, but uh, can't do anything. Uh, for one, uh, summer pickup games, uh, if it's not an official practice, coaches can't be there at all. So all that stuff is, and that's part of where Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter's kind of frustration, I think, came in. All that stuff is team-led. Like, uh, Hubert Davis can say, you guys playing pickup? You know, he can kind of infer that he wants them to do it, but it's up to the players to put it together. As far as on-the-court stuff, um, there was some, some rule changes or, or bylaws out there. Um, that were pushing to get more people to be allowed to have on-court instruction. Um, but I think that's one of the, I don't know this personally, but I think that's one of the reasons that Jackie Manuel is leaving because he wants to be on the court coaching. And 
in his role, which unless it's changing, uh, Marcus Page will have the same thing. He can't do anything with guys on the court during practice or, or anything like that. I think one of the big things, and I don't know that this has been reported a lot, I think one of the big things is the reason why Marcus Page is coming back is probably because of Johnny T-shirt. Um, I would guess that he's missed that during his time uh, playing pro ball overseas. While I do recognize Johnny T-shirt has amazing shipping and they're really good about getting your gear to you in a quick, fast, and in a hurry manner, uh, it's just not the same as being able to walk in off of East Franklin Street and just go into the store and experience their amazing customer service or lay hands on the actual goods that they have right there in the store. Uh, uh, that's different, right? And, and I think that's probably one of the big things in bringing Marcus Page back to town. So I'm sure he will be using that quite a bit, uh, making his his presence back in town uh, seen, but also felt in how much time he will be buying things from Johnny T-Shirt. We appreciate Johnny T-Shirt. Shout out to them for sponsoring the show. Hit them up right now if you need your summer gear, johnnytshirt.com, or go see them on Franklin Street. Alumni owned and operated. We really appreciate them. We're thankful for what they do to sponsor this show. All right, get your questions in. Sean, if you've got to bail, man, feel free. I know you've got uh, daddy duties coming up, so no, nobody here is going to judge you. <clears throat> so I want to go ahead and start getting some of these questions in from the chat. And guys, like I said, this is new. Um, can't obviously answer everything. Uh, but we will try to get um, you know as much information to you as we can with regard to protecting sources and making sure that we can verify things uh, as we've seen. So Sherelle already addressed the uh, Marcus Page um, kind of feeling uh, feeling out what his role is going to be with the program. I think he did a good job there. Sherelle, I'll, I'll go ahead and hit you with this one. Um, <clears throat> from Larry Swearingen, any Jaron Stevenson updates or comments, which I think this is a million-dollar question on the – on the premium message boards right now. So I'll, I'll drop this one up here. Do you want the updates or do you want the comments, Larry? <laughs> no, ooh, uh, ooh. no, no, ooh, I'm, spi I'm, no. Spicy rel is my favorite uh, rel. I'm joking. Uh, so yeah, uh, obviously Jaron Stevenson is the 2024 forward. He goes to Seaforth uh, High School there in Pittsburgh. I think it's about 15, 20 minutes from the Smith Center. So uh, obviously very close. Uh, his mother played basketball at UNC, his dad played at the University of Richmond, shouts to Ben, and then went overseas and played uh, in Asia and a few other places for more than a decade. So a really uh, well-renowned player, you know, in, in Asia. Uh, his recruitment has been interesting. He was the first 2024 player uh, to get an offer from UNC. Uh, he was offered in October of 2021. So before Hubert Davis had played a game, he had already offered Jaron Stevenson a scholarship. Um, since then, he's taken probably nine or 10 unofficial visits to UNC over the last couple of years. However, he's not taken an official visit. Uh, he's been to UVA for an official visit. That was his most recent. Um, he's been to Missouri and he's been to Georgetown. So those are the three thus far uh, official visits that he's taken. Because he's a junior, he has until July 31st to take his five uh, unofficial visits and then the rule, excuse me, five official visits. And then I believe on August 1st, the rule changes, he can take as many as he wants. Uh, so that's kind of where the recruitment stands. There are, uh, I think, discussions about a potential reclass uh, at the school of his choice. And uh, the last time we talked to his family, they still want to do a UNC official visit. And they said that UNC is still recruiting Jaron, you know, pretty hard. So I think that's where things stands. And frankly, I, I think the family uh, it just has a decision to make. That's basically what they said is that they need to decide by the end of the summer if he's going to stay in 2024 or if he's going to reclass up into 2023. Um, so that, that that's where it's at. And I think for UNC, uh, there's not much more that needs to be said. I think they've kind of, I don't want to say rested their case, but he kind of knows UNC inside and out. Um, and we'll see if they take advantage of still being able to take an official visit there. Shrill, this question is from Joey in Durham. Uh, well, sure, sure. Go ahead. Maybe Go ahead, just real quick on, you know, for EYBL now, it's uh, two two weeks and he's he's uh, a little under 12 points and, and four rebounds struggling from three. Um, so I think his, you know, two weeks of EYBL have been uh, lukewarm at, at best, I would say. And, and I, I do think whether it's UNC or wherever, you know, I'm not I don't currently not looking at him as a one and done prospect. Um you know, maybe it's taken him a little while to get 
acclimated after after playing at Seaforth uh, this season, and maybe July will be different. But I think, um, you know, I, I'd say a, kind of an average average performance at, at best so far over over two weeks for him. So, Sherelle, the question I was going to ask you is, what goes into a player's family considering a reclass like that? Because I think about last year at this time, and even for the most part, um, while North Carolina was recruiting Stevenson, I don't know that reclassing was even on the radar, at least in our orbit here at Inside Carolina. What what kind of comes into a kid's, I guess, rhetoric and his line of thinking when that comes up? Is it just wanting to get to to where you're getting a paycheck for basketball sooner? Or does something change around, you know, around his experience that, that maybe uh, maybe altered their line of thinking or, or their desired path to use one of your terms? This is like every Mission Impossible movie ever where like Ethan Hunt is trying to not step on wires and like trying to get into the safe and, and deliver something without tripping off any alarms. So I'm going to try and like jump over stuff and like suspend myself in midair and answer this question. But uh, I think. A lot of times it is, you know, if you can graduate high school quicker, you can play in college quicker, your year runs out, you can get to the NBA draft quicker. That was the Gigi Jackson model. That was the whole idea was why wait? If you if you have a lottery ticket in your hand, why wait, you know, 14 months to cash it when you can cash it in seven months? It's kind of the idea, I think, for a lot of kids. For some kids, it's just they're, frankly, they're, they're too good <laughs> to still be playing in high school basketball. Um, they've done everything, they've accomplished everything, and, and it's just the next logical step to go ahead and move forward. And I think for other kids, it's a chance to go ahead and get jump started on their development and you know, have access to world-class facilities that you wouldn't have at high school unless you go to like IMG or something. Uh, so I think those are all three viable paths and, and reasons for, for kids. Um, in the end, you know, it's, it's a family decision. And I know from a basketball perspective, we might talk about it, but I try not to really say too much about each individual family's decision for their son because they know their sons better than we do. And ultimately, it comes down to the circle and the circle is almost always, you know, mom, dad and a couple of trusted advisors. So uh, for us, from a basketball standpoint, do I think 97 percent of these guys are ready to reclassify? No, I think I think there's one or two per class who has checked all the boxes, who can do all the things, who's ready to go. Um, but outside of that, usually, you know, from a basketball perspective, the best decision tends to be staying in, in your class. Um, I hope I answered your question. I went a, a long way around, but I think those are the three typical reasons that guys reclass. When I try to ask it, knowing that there were going to be landmines there, and I think you did an expert job of, of avoiding those. A question in the chat from at WH1315, Assuming UNC attracts another ball-dominant guard, can RJ be as effective off the ball? And I'm going to ask both of you guys this because I think it's a question that both of you can speak to in different ways. I'm going to take out the first part about UNC attracting another ball-dominant guard. I mean, I think the the underlying question there is, is Elliot could do as a reclass. Either way, let's go back and just ask, you know, can RJ – do you guys think RJ with another year in his belt – can share primary ball handling duties. And I think we saw that be an issue a little bit last year with, uh, with Caleb Love a little bit. Sean, I'm going to come to you first with that one. So it's a good question. Um, I mean, look, I, I think for UNC to be at its best, uh, you don't want RJ Davis always running transition. Um, just being blunt, it, the ball never really left his hands that much in, in terms of transition play. There are some times where he pushed it up uh, you know, defensive rebound um, all the way up up himself, which worked out. But in terms of just kind of that free-flowing three-on-two, two-on-one, you definitely, I, I think, need another guard. Once again, somebody like Elliot could do that, that, that could pass. But even if you do have another guard that is ball-dominant or needs, it, needs the ball in his hands, RJ is a scorer. Um, you know, he, he, can, he can handle the ball. He can set everything up. But at the end of the day, UNC is going to need him to score. Uh, and he's going to have to, you know, hopefully see a slight, I'd say maybe increase in his, in his shots. Cause before he got injured in that ACC play, I mean, he was, he was playing lights out, uh, 40% plus. And once again, you're, you're going on the thought that there's two studs in RJ and Armando, and then you're fitting the pieces around them, both from a shooting ball handling spacing perspective. So 
I don't see any issue with him not always having the ball in his hands because you do want him to also be focused on scoring. I know he he sees himself as a point guard, but at the end of the day, whether it's the NBA G League or Europe, he's going to be asked to score, and he's going to that that's just who he is. Um, so he's never going to be a guy that's scoring eight points and dishing out ten assists regularly. So I think you want him doing what he's most natural at, and having a guy that can help that and further that, I think would would be great for the ceiling on this team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Sean, and I know you have to go take care of daddy and, duty, so with go that, with God. I'm out, uh, so all right. it's good to see all the questions on this and uh, you know, looking forward to watching the other questions that Joey hits Sherell with uh, after after this, but <laughs> thanks everybody for for jumping in. All right, brother, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. That's Sean right. Moran uh, coming all the way from the West Coast. We appreciate you making time for us tonight. All right, Sherell, I want to ask you, man. Um, sitting here, you know, hearing Sean's response about RJ, and then seeing some of the, you know, I guess differing lines of thought in, in the chat. I'm gonna ask you the same question: Can RJ? Uh, be as, as effective off the ball if he's not the primary ball handler? And does that limit UNC ceiling, or, or do you think th- those two things are correlated at all? Yeah, I think the question was, can he uh, be effective playing beside a ball-dominant guard? Right? That was the question? Okay. I'm just going to pause for five seconds let people think. I mean, he played with Caleb Love last year. So Caleb Love is a ball-dominant guard, and I think he played pretty well outside of when his finger was, was you know, pretty much broken or, or injured or sprained or whatever it was. Uh, I think there's been stretches here the last couple of years where he's played pretty well. I mean, his, his shooting numbers, uh, you know, in stretches, again, have been at an All-American level. So I think the question is a little odd for me because, uh, it, let's just be real, everyone's talking about Elliot Cadeau. You know, we can, we can say it out loud. He's, he's mulling a reclass. So the question is, will it hurt RJ playing off the ball beside Elliot Godot? And I would say no. The only way it would hurt RJ is if it's something he doesn't really want to do, and then it causes some issues within the team. But from a pure on-the-court basketball perspective, at least offensively, I mean, playing beside Elliot Godot is kind of what you want because you're going to get open looks. You're going to get a lot of open looks. And RJ has shown that he has the propensity uh, to knock down open looks. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think someone said it was something like 41 or 42% on catch-and-shoot threes. Well, with a point guard like Elliot Cadeau in this hypothetical, he's going to be getting a lot of you know catch-and-shoot threes. With uh, a wing forward like Harrison Ingram, uh, who can post, who can pass, who can swing, who can you know whip it around the court, you know he's going to get a lot of you know catch-and-shoot threes. So uh, yes, he can do it. Obviously, I think 100% he can, and I think he could be good at it. It's just a matter of kind of meshing um, the things that he wants to do and learn and grow as a player with, with what is potentially best for next year's team. Um, so those two have to have to match, and those two uh, things have to work together. I think also if you were coming off of a season where Hubert Davis and um, and his staff had done a little bit better, I don't think as many people would have this many questions about, you know, can two players exist? I think there'd be a little more trust. Uh, but I do understand why folks are a little skeptical of a potential Kadeo reclass plus RJ, knowing what they just saw with, you know, with RJ and Caleb Love. That's an easy thing to point to and say, hey, that can't work. Right. Uh, 100%. I get it. But 
you have to know that Caleb and, and Cadeau are completely different players in the way yeah. they approach and the way they attack in their strengths and their weaknesses was very, very different. So you can't really, you know, plot on top of potentially Cadeau Davis, uh, the, the struggles and the issues of love Davis, because it just would be completely different. Now there may be new struggles that arise that we can't foresee. I see someone talking about them being, you know, kind of on the smaller side defensively that that could be one. Uh, there could be stuff that uh, happens that we just don't perceive, but um, I don't think you can look at last year and say, well, if RJ is off the ball, then that's not good for UNC. Or if RJ is on the ball and there's another guard off the ball, then that's not good for UNC. Um, you know, it's just it's different players. A lot of different folks have asked questions in the chat. I'm not going to hit you about any specific player that is much less not in the transfer portal, uh, which definitely means that we can't confirm any sort of contact. But um, would you mind sharing with the folks that are here? Uh, so far, how you feel like um, North Carolina is working things behind the scenes? Are they still working things behind the scenes? Or is it important for folks to just hang tight until that uh, that NBA draft withdrawal process starts? I think I think we had a podcast earlier this year titled like uh, Quiet But Not Inactive or something like that. And I just had to remind people of that. Just because it was a relatively quiet week from a UNC basketball perspective doesn't mean that it was inactive. You know, he saw they gave out a couple of offers. Uh, you know, they could be talking to some portal guys, as we've explained here, basically since this whole thing started on March 12th, which feels like seven years ago. Uh, the UNC staff likes to move quietly and they like to do things without uh, a lot of people knowing. That's why, you know, it took us so long to confirm that Cormac Ryan was visiting. That's why it took us so long to confirm that Harrison Ingram was visiting. That's why it took us so long to confirm that Paxton Wilchip was visiting and on and on and on. Um, so they could still be talking to people and we just don't know about it. I, I don't necessarily know that that's the case as far as portal guys. I think maybe um, they are looking to see uh, any new names that come through and then monitoring who gets NBA draft combine invites and who doesn't. Uh, so you've got that. They Again, to reset, they still have two scholarships available as things stand right now. Um, we know that they have uh, multiple players slash targets mulling uh, reclassifications in Jaron Stevenson and Elliot Cadeau. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the latest on Ian Jackson, his his people and, and those around him have been pretty firm in saying that he's staying in 2024. And they've said that pretty consistently over the, over the last, you know, six or seven months. So that's where things stand with him. Uh, they uh, still, again, are going to look at the portal. They're going to look at the NBA draft stuff um, and just see what happens. You know, this the team could be set or it could not be set. That's why our advice has always been to wait until kind of mid-June before you you say, okay, this is what the 2023-2024 roster is going to look like. Um, and again, those key dates, if you want to go back to those, the portal is open for like another 10 days. I think it's May 11th that it closes. So we are getting towards the end of that 60-day period that started on uh, March 13th. And then the NBA Combine uh, kicks off on May 15th. But you can see a lot of folks are kind of starting to um, leak their invites or, uh, on, on Twitter or online. Some of the national guys are leaking those. And then uh, May 31st is the date by which people who enter the NBA draft can withdraw and still maintain their college eligibility. Again, if you enter the portal on you know May 10th, it doesn't mean you have to make a decision on a new school by May 11th. It just means you have to be in the portal by then. Conceivably, Joey Powell could enter the portal on May 11th and decide on August 15th, as long as he was in good academic standing, that he wanted to attend University X, that he wanted to go to Stony Brook. And as long as all his academic stuff was, was in hand, he could wait it out and just show up on campus. So you don't have to give a verbal commitment or anything uh, once you enter the portal. I'm going to tell you, as much as I love the Seawolves, my academic stuff is not in order. So no danger of me entering the portal, nor would there be any danger of anybody wanting me from the portal. Um, anyway, uh, so I've seen a couple of folks, too, asking about players that UNC can't confirm about. Um, I also want to say, and this isn't from Sherelle, this is from me. Uh, Sherelle has a lot of folks that he works with behind the scenes that a lot of stuff's kind of said off the record. I think it's important for fans and, you know, folks listen to the show and, and participate in the show to, to remember, like, you can't really, like, all of this stuff, it's being done behind the scenes through feelers and, and runners and, and intermediaries and all that stuff. Like 
sometimes talking about that can sour the possibilities of that happening. Um, and, and again, I'm not versed in that. I can't quote that being specific, being specifically true, but knowing what I know from, from, you know, from, from doing this is that a lot of times, you know, speculation becoming known fact can actually make things go the wrong way. Um, anyway, uh, I hope I didn't overstep any bounds there, Sherell, and what I just said, but, um, uh, I do think, uh, there's a couple of other questions too. Some folks have asked uh, about Simeon Wiltshire and, you know, expectations for him, um, for the first year. And, and I don't, I don't know that, you know, I don't know what the expectations for Wiltshire are, but Nathan Keener's questions below just are we expecting too much from Simeon in year one on campus. Are we guaranteed two and not one and done? I, I'll throw that to you, Cheryl, because I have nowhere to go with that. I actually think it's the other way around. I think people have kind of forgotten about Wiltshire um, because of everything in the portal being kind of flashy and new. Wiltshire's been committed, you know, almost, you know, not quite two years, so like 18 months he's been committed. Um, he signed this past November and uh, a really good player that if UNC signed him tomorrow, everybody would be ecstatic. But because you know, he signed, or excuse me, because he committed so long ago. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, they, they've got Wiltshire. They're, they're good. He's a solid player. But, I mean, he has a chance to be a really dynamic, you know, guard, especially in, in UNC's rotation with the way uh, that Hubert Davis plays. Um, he's got length. He's tall. He can really, really attack. And I think that's something that uh, when you start looking at how the roster plays out next year, guys who uh, – UNC's going to need someone, whether it's starting or off the bench, in addition to R.J. Davis – who can, when the shot clock is at seven, just put their head down and get to the rim. And I don't know that as the roster is currently constructed with the transfers that have been brought in and uh, with the guys coming back, if there was really anyone else kind of his size with his skill set able to do that. So that's going to that's gonna be huge. And then I've said it, you know, I think we've all said it. Sean said it. You, you watched it, Joey. You said the same thing. Defensively, he has a chance to be a really good player. Um, obviously, like any freshman, he's got to put on some weight. You know, he's got to get used to the rigors of ACC basketball, the, the strength of the other guards, the speed of the other guards. But from a just measurables perspective, he has everything he wants to one day be a, an effective defender. And I think that's how, um, very much like Seth Trimble last year, the, the minutes that he got um, when he played really well is when he was engaged defensively and really harassing the guards on the other team. So uh, if he can do that, uh, knock down an open shot. I, I think there's going to be plenty of playing time for him. And I think we saw last year that Trimble hit that freshman wall. And I know you've talked about the freshman wall before. Like there's just a certain point in time of that grind of their first year in college where where kids that are coming in from high school or prep school are just absolutely gassed. And they kind of reach a place where it's either mental or physical or both that they just they start underperforming a little bit and think about this joy with the COVID year and with all oh, yeah. the transfer stuff um this is again not to disparage anyone but last year Kalan was playing a lot of old teams they were playing guys who were 23 24 25 years old yeah. and so Seth, Seth Trimble and the other freshmen are coming from playing guys who are 17 and 18 and, and Trimble himself is a young 18 um, so there's a seven year difference between some of the guys who he was playing against and him. And we all know that such a huge difference in not just maturity, but also just body maturity between 18 and 25. It's, it's a huge difference. Um, and that's going to be the case with teams who are playing Carolina this year. Carolina's going to have a 25 year old, a couple of 24 year olds. Actually, I think three 24 year olds, a 25 year old. And like a 22 or 23 year old, probably in in, in their starting lineup, I would think. Um, so that's going to be an advantage for UNC is that they're a bunch of grown men playing in college basketball still. Uh, so anyway, uh, bring in the two, bring in all the two desserts of the KNW guys. Like right, I want all, I want all those guys. Dinner, dinner at 4:45 sharp. Um, yeah. So I think to your point, that's one of the reasons that this particular freshman class may have hit the wall a little bit earlier than once in the past because they're yeah. playing they're not playing against 21 year olds who are seniors like they would have been before they're playing against 24 year old six-year seniors um and that's that's never happened before so that, that's something to think about too absolutely well appreciate it man uh last last thing before we get out of here i always like to do this when we're pre-recording the show so I'll, I'll do it in this one too Sherelle, you got two cents for me before we get out the door you know i don't i don't think i do um 
it's and been... we are not talking NFL draft results. I, I oh, know I, you were looking forward to that. Oh, we are not. I don't care I, about your draft board. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, Keely Ringo, you know, number, oh number I think he was number 79 on, on my first. That is, that is theft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a board, everybody. I don't have a board. Um, no, it, it's been quiet for the first time. I put quiet in parentheses for the first time uh, in a while for UNC basketball. And that, that's a good thing. Uh, we, we started... I don't want to say preaching, evangelizing. We started telling people early in this process that it was going to take time. Yeah. And we're now not quite two months into it. I think UNC is in a good spot, but I, I don't think the roster is done. And so you just have to let it play out before you start, you know, giving your, your minutes projections and trying to figure out who's going to start and who's going to be yeah. upset and all that stuff. The portal works both ways and it doesn't close for another 10 to 11 days. So the first time you can even talk about what the roster might look like for me is uh, May 11th. You know, last year, I'll keep saying it again, Gerwin Walton told everyone, his, he and his family told everyone they were coming back to Carolina. They were asked yeah. multiple times, they're coming back to Carolina. And then that last day before the portal closed, you know, we see, we see his name in the portal. So stuff can change um, in and out. Um, that can happen in other schools too, and it could be advantageous for UNC, but just take everything as fluid until you know may 11th consider it kind of as like a slushy from may 11th until june 15th and then it'll be frozen and intact on june 15th and then you can go forward with what you think the roster might look like or, or how you think the staff did or or any of that stuff um but that would be my advice again i'm sorry to be repetitive but i think it's just important to keep hammering it home because it's easy to get lost in this stuff in the day-to-day -day. you know uh a week ago you know Nine, I guess a week ago, yeah. Nine days ago, Carolina, people thought that Carolina was going to lose Harrison Ingram. Cormac Ryan hadn't committed. That was nine <laughs> days ago. That was nine days ago. So this and everybody moves. was just everybody was like, we the roster can't be done with just these two guys. It's just right, it's just, right. You know, and everybody's and trying so to see how Wojcik's going to start and Withers is going to play at the like. Just yeah, that's, that's yeah. A lot of so all, it's 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 moving. It, it moves so fast. It, it makes everything feel slow when really we've kind of zoomed through these last two months. So. Yeah. That's my advice. Just just hold on out for a, another month and a half, and then the roster will be set, and we can move forward. Love it, man. Love the perspective. And again, shout out to everybody who's in the who's in the chat tonight. We loved interacting with you guys. I think it's uh, if if we can keep this going, we might continue to, to do some of this. And you know, obviously, we can't get to every question everybody asks, and some of them we just gotta have to skip over just because there's no real point for us to answer some of them. But um. Appreciate everybody kind of interacting with us and, and being a part of the show this evening. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for uh, sponsoring us. Shout out to John Bauman for for getting me set up with the really sweet tutorial today on on how to run this live stream thing. I don't think I broke anything yet. Uh, and shout out to Tommy Ashley for uh, for giving us the feedback and, and making sure that everything was good because he's usually the one that sets us up and lets everything run for us. So appreciate him taking the the training wheels off tonight and letting us letting us rock this out. But until next time, uh, for Sean Moran, I know he's off swaddling a kid somewhere. And for Cheryl McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. We'll catch you all next time on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Like New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, not letting the gut here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching, these have been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.